Okay, so we're back again. Number three, episode number three, which is um, which is good. Still going. Good accomplishment. Yeah. It's only like where well, it was yesterday, or nearly yesterday, Friday, when we did the last one. So. Yeah, so there's not really been that much happening in the time between the last one and this one. But what have you got? Any updates? I have. Um, not much. Well, a little bit to talk about. I had a meeting with an SEO agency yesterday that we we're working with for Vouchercoach Pro. Okay. Um, this is as much to sanity check the stuff that we're doing. That's good, some actions to take into and get them and taken into the new year. Um, that's it, really. I guess it's only been Monday and Tuesday, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been the weekend in between and just a couple of days. So, yeah. All the time, yeah. Well, my only update really is um, I've had a redesign of the Joined Up Data website, which sounds a bit ridiculous considering there aren't any customers at the moment. But um, it was basically offered to me for free, um, a guy Anders that I met at MicroConf Europe last year and this year. Um, I'll put a link to his company in the, in the show notes, but he's um, he was kindly offering some of the microconf attendees or Mac, Mac Academy members, I'm not sure which way around it was, um, a free website design, he's got a bunch of designers and one of them has some free time, so I, uh, I took him up on that, uh, they did a really good good design actually, really nice, mm. um, so it's basically like a, a home page in a PSD file. Um, so you get you got the general theme sort of thing for the website and uh, and, a, and a full homepage design, and then I got a guy from Vietnam from Odesk to um, put it into WordPress for me, and it's not. It, it's there and it's on the it's live now, but it's quite um, there's a few bits of refinements needed, shall we say? You know, right. the guy that did the word put it into WordPress. Some of the page templates aren't exactly brilliant, but they're there and I can just tweak them. Mm. How much would that cost to get him to do that? So, how much was it? Um, it was ninety dollars, I think. Oled, yeah, that's right, ninety dollars, isn't it? So it's yeah, <coughs> even with a few errors, it's uh, cost effective. Yeah, exactly. I mean, before I was using a Woo themes theme, which was really nice, really liked it. But I just, you know, if you offer it a design for free, um, like some handoff. So yeah, so I've mm. done that. And uh, yeah, so hopefully by the time the new year comes around, it'll be back into shape. Uh, spend some time with the Christmas period on it. Fantastic. So I listened through to our last episode, yep. and I kind of said I was never going to listen through to the old episodes, <laughs> because you don't necessarily like hearing the sound of your own voice, do you? Yeah, that's it. And so, having listened through, there's a few things that I've picked up on. I need to stop going, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise I did it until I listened through, and so it's a good thing I listened through. Uh, apparently, you said Audacity can cut that out. Um, well, there is one of the options I saw in Audacity is to get rid of clicks and things, so I right. need to play with it really and work out whether I can do it or not. But so, um, well, I'm going to stop trying to go anyway, yeah. so hopefully yeah. you only need to use Audacity. Yeah. <laughs> At least now I know I do it, so I can try and stop doing it. Um, uh, it was actually good listening through it, because there were a few action things that kind of we said we'd get back to people on, or we weren't sure of the answer and things like that, so I can kind of go through those now. So I'm going to listen through to all the... Yeah. future episodes anyway so it's probably a good thing yeah um the first thing was actually something you pointed out to me um when you asked the question you know how many people locally search for golf pros oh yeah in terms of lessons and i kind of thought i'd never actually thought of that and so this isn't something i'm i've done yet but i obviously need uh, you know i'm just assuming that golf pros want to get websites to you know find more customers and what yeah. have you but if people aren't actually searched to, i need to look at the problem from the golf pros perspective and find out if people are actually searching to try and find someone to give them lessons online. Yeah. Not as in conduct the lessons online, but you know, try and find out where they are from Google and yeah. and be able to book them in. So I'm going to do some keyword searches around a few locations to see how many you know searches there are for golf lessons in Reading or golf lessons in Berkshire and so on. 
to make sure that if I do go and create websites for these golf pros that they will get some value out of it. Yeah, that's good um, idea. So I'm going to do that over the Christmas period. Um, one of the things we spoke about was the A-B testing. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned about the impact on Google. Yeah, so yeah, whether website. Google likes it or not, whether you're, whether you're serving different pages. And so I just I just did a quick Google search now. <laughs> see if I can the answer it did. Uh, Google Webmaster Central blog has actually got um, a pay, whole page on it. And basically, it's only not cloaking, which is showing different results to humans and Google. Okay. They're okay. Use rel canonical, which means if you've got different right, results on okay. a page, you can tell them which is the authoritative page. Yeah. Uh, use 302s, not 301s. That's a temporary redirect rather than a full redirect. Right. If you are redirecting between different variations and yeah. stuff. Um, it kind of says only run the experiment as long as necessary. <laughs> <laughs> so you take that as you want. Um, but it says that if you take the above recommendation results and you know, uh, put those into practice, it should have little or no impact on your site and search results. Um, I just did it. I'm sorry. Um, so we can link to that page in the, the show notes anyway. So yeah. I definitely recommend people have a read of it if they are doing A-B testing just to make sure it doesn't have any effect. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so that's good. Uh, and there's a third thing as well. While you're on that, though, I, I had another... I've heard people talk about numbers of searches... Oh, sorry. Number of visitors that you, that you need before you can effectively run A/B tests. What what do you know? What that number is? Is there a number? Or I don't know what the number is, but in Optimizely, yeah, it tells you whether the test is conclusive or inconclusive. Oh right. So okay. it'll only tell you if it's a recommendation to kind of take forward after a certain number of yeah. visits have happened, and you know, either goal has been hit or missed or whatever on each variation. Right. Okay. Yeah, because I was. I was thinking I've said before about um, I've run Google Ads and you know had landing pages and I've tried different landing pages and different ad text and all the rest of it. And I'm never I never know really because the results tend to be um, not that conclusive to me. I mean I can tell an ad that it's doing nothing, so I can cut that out. But um, you know whether the combination of ad copy through to the landing page, you know that that sort of path of the visitor's journey, if you like, uh, makes sense, and then whether that converts. And I just wondered whether, um, you know, if I ran A/B tests, even with small numbers, you know, I'll be talking hundreds of visitors. Yeah, yeah. So I'd have to tens. whack up the ad. Um, the ad I wouldn't to, well, to do it. Try, would I try it with paid customers? I mean, in terms of visitors, you know, if you're getting, um, yeah, I guess it would. You'd have to put a lot of money into it, wouldn't you, really, to, mm. to try and make that work? Yeah. Especially the way Google has that now, you can't really get any clicks for less than a pound or a dollar or whatever. Yeah, every time I go on there, it seems to be more expensive. Mm. Yeah, the um, the last thing to mention was uh, in the last episode, I mentioned about run streak. Oh, yeah. I did about 60 days last time, and that was good. I don't really know why I said that, that was good because there's people on Twitter that use the hashtag run streak, and they're up to like 1,500 days, <laughs> 2,000 days, and stuff. I knew this when I said as well. I guess what I meant was it was good for me. Yeah. But there's obviously lots of people out there that have taken this to crazy levels that is incredible and there's a chap is it Ron Hill I think let me just check <coughs> he uh, it's kind of what Run Streak was named after him actually and he's been running every day I think for yeah, here he is Ron Hill he's 76 now he's been running every day for the last like 40 years or something even he had a he was in hospital because he broke his leg or something like that and he still hobbled out of the hospital and uh, I'm not sure if that's a bit of an urban that doesn't really count does it surely it's, it's a streak. Uh, Hill has not missed a day of running since December 1964. Oh, <laughs> That's even longer than I said. <laughs> Dating back to the start of his elite racing career. He defines a run as completing a distance of at least one mile at any pace. 
This streak includes workouts after a car crash in 1993 when Hill broke his sternum and after bunion surgery. <laughs> <laughs> he used a crutch to cover one mile. Wow. That's incredible. That's on Wikipedia, so it's got to be true. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess that was it. Round up from last episode. Okay, cool. So I guess as the... Our update was quite... Well, we're going to do something different because it's kind of an in-between episode where we're going to put it out between Christmas and New Year. Yeah. And one of our failed attempts at starting the podcast, we tried to do a kind of intro to ourselves, didn't we? Yes, we didn't go that well, yeah. And uh, I think we bored ourselves to tears. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we've tried, we're going to do something like a, a bit more of a quick-fire question thing where we've got ten questions or so. Yeah. And uh, we'll go through and we'll both answer them. Yeah. So... Martin. You're going to ask me the first one? I'm going to ask you the first one. Where are you from? Where am I from? Well, I'm from Wigan originally, which is in the northwest, um, northwest UK. And uh, I lived there until I was about 13. Um, and then when I was about 13, my, my dad got a job in Reading basically, so we moved the whole family down here. And I've lived in Reading, other than university, I've lived in Reading ever since. What you need to go to? I went to Birmingham. Okay. So I'm from Gloucester originally, and so is Sophie, my girlfriend. And but you don't talk funny. I do. I, well, if you listen to well, when I listen to us two on the podcast, oh, you can hear it, episode, can you? it definitely sounds. I would say I definitely sound more southwest. That's Yours funny. is quite neutral. I thought. Yeah, lots of people say that. When I listen to it, I can hear people it. People say I'm neutral twang. as well. But when I'm compared to you, yeah. um, I've had a bit of a twang. That's um, funny, isn't it? So yeah, so from Gloucester originally, we moved to Reading. I think when we were about twenty-five. Um, I had a job in London at the time, and Sophie had a job in Swindon. And we looked on the map. And Reading was slap bang in the middle, and we've been here ever since. Right, kind of consider it home. I've kind of been thinking recently: Do I want to spend the rest of my life in Reading? Mm. Um, I keep watching Escape to the Country, and yeah, um, Place in the Sun, and all those kinds of programs. We've got exactly <laughs> grand designs, thing. and I keep yeah. thinking, you know, is Reading the place I want to live at forever? It's not a bad place. I quite enjoy living here. It's a good place. Yeah, I think it's good. It's close to London. Yeah, uh, it's close to. It's an hour and a quarter away from family, which is close enough to visit. Mm. Close enough, or far enough away, they don't come too often. <laughs> um, so that covers question two. How did you end up in Reading? Uh, what did you want to be when you uh, were younger? Oh dear. Well, um, professional layabout is probably the biggest um, thing I wanted to be when I was younger. I, I wasn't particularly motivated, um, apart from maybe wanting to be a racing car driver or a, a rock star. Of course, I had a band and, and all the rest of it when I was younger. I didn't really have any aspirations to be anything, um, any particular job um, trying to avoid doing a job was probably my, my main right. my main thing what about you? this is going back to like when I was four or five right. I wanted to be a train driver oh uh, of course yeah, I, got, I, I could see you as a I train driver I think that's uh, I'll take that as a compliment I'm not <laughs> I used to love trains well I still to be fair I still do love trains I guess commuting into London every day for nine months put me off trains a bit yeah that's how count does it? you know like when you want to meet your um, your idol and he turns out to be an arsehole or something. Yeah. Because I love trains, I thought, yeah, commuting on a train every day has got to be the best thing in the world. And then you get on the Reading to London train every day. That'll do it. And you have to stand all the way and it puts you off trains for life. That'll do it. <laughs> the, the tube trains count as well. Because I guess so. A, a packed tube train on a hot day, that'll do it as well. Mm. So I used to love model railways and all that kind of stuff. I've still got an ambition of converting our attic into a massive model railway. Or, we were recording down now in the office in the garden and I've kind of thought, wow, I could run a little train, model train track around here. <laughs> you can make it bring you a cup of tea and that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, back into the house. Crazy. Um, what was your first computer? 
I had a Spectrum 48K. Did you? With the rubber keys. I had one of those as well. That was my first computer. Mm. It's yeah. a British thing, isn't it, I think? Yeah. They never really went across the pond or anywhere else. Oh, did they not? I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, that makes sense. Because we had the Commodores around at the same time, weren't mm. they? Uh, that sort of thing. But yeah, I had the um, I had the same one and I had um, the rubbery keys. God knows how I managed to type anything. But I used to copy pages and pages of programs out of magazines and things. And then I used to have one of those... Do you remember like, they had those silver foil printers? No, I never they had, had They had these little printers that were tiny. I, I can't remember now um, how big they were. Probably, I don't know, about three or four inches across, and the paper was the same sort of width. And it was like silver foil paper, and it would, um, right. it would, would print it out. out. The program. So I'd, I'd basically right. copy, write a program. So it wouldn't be something I'd copied out of a magazine, but I'd, I'd write something, and then I'd print it out so that I'd got it, you know, because um, the only other way was to record it onto a tape which I'd do as well, but if mm. I printed it out, I'd have a paper copy. It's crazy what we used to do. But, yeah. Well, you mentioned the tape thing. I remember loading games and like, yeah. like the noise it used to make, and yeah. the amount of times it used to fail, and you have to rewind the tape and stuff oh, again. Your favourite game would be broken, and it'd be the yeah. worst thing in the world because the tape would bust or twisted or something. Yeah, what a nightmare. My favourite game, going back to that period, where I had lots of games like Treasure Island, Dizzy, and those, those things, was Nigel Mantle's Grand Prix. And it's like back in... 87 I think it was right yeah, Perhaps, yeah it was 87 because I remember the car he had on the front was from that period um, and so I was big into racing cars then and watched Formula 1 and knew all the drivers yeah and uh, I remember in the tests I remember going back and looking for that game again and it's like I couldn't find it for ages and I thought perhaps I'd dreamt this game because <laughs> I couldn't find it but I found it on eBay recently. I almost thought about buying an old Spectrum and buying that game again. Really? Yeah. Do you know, I think I've still got mine. Have you? I think so. I've got, bizarrely, we've got a ZX81, which was the precursor to that. Mm. Um, it's at my dad's house. But yeah, we've got one of those. I'm sure we've got the Spectrum as well. But um, Daily Thompson's Decathlon, that was my favourite game. Mm. That was good. I, uh, we upgraded to the Spectrum 148K with the James Bond gun. Oh, no, I never got that far. And then we moved on to PCs, because I've got an older brother who's 10 years older than me. Yeah. So when I was, you know, eight, he was 18, and after university and stuff, and he needed a PC for that, I guess. And so right. I either got handed down or was always around. So I kind of moved on to PCs, and I skipped. I always wanted the Commodore 64 and the Commodore Amiga, because my friends always had them, and the games on those were always amazingly better than yeah. the Spectrum and yeah. the PC at the time as well, because the PC was so yeah. pretty basic in terms of what it could do and stuff. Um, we did have a a lot of the electronics because I guess my dad's friends knew we were into computers and he worked in offices and stuff so we always got I think random just bits of computers we had an Apple IIc at oh, one right. point um, various bits and pieces did you ever use that or was it just sat yeah yeah I did yeah. play around with it it had a, um, one of the programs on it was a logo one you know you can plot yeah. moving around and all that kind of stuff and it was funny because you know doing stuff at home as a hobby He'd then go into do the computer lessons at school and stuff, and he'd be so far ahead of everyone else. Yeah, and they'd yeah. be trying to get their head around moving this little thing forward to ten, yeah. right to another five or whatever, and you'd be like plotting these crazy patterns yeah. and that kind of stuff with go-to loops. And I remember right. taking my Zerg Spectrum in with me on you know on the last day of term before Christmas, mm. you know, everyone just takes toys in and stuff. I've took my Zerg Spectrum in with me with a little portable TV and a tape recorder yeah. and everything. I had my dad trailing behind me carrying everything in. And, uh, and everyone was suitably impressed, yeah, that was good. Right. Uh, well, why did you get into computers as a career then? As a career? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was into it, 
like you say, with the ZX Spectrum, and then I kind of lost interest. Um, probably about the same time we moved to Reading, actually. I didn't do anything with computers until I was about 17 again. Um, but, <laughs> it sounds shallow, but the main reason was money in the end. Right. I, I was interested in computers, and I, I was, like, my dad had PCs and things, and I used to use the PCs at home and, and all that, and I used to enjoy that. Um, but I never really thought about doing it as a job. Um, as I said, I wanted to be a professional layabout, so I didn't really think about any job at the time. And then I, I'd, um, I kind of realised that at some point I'd have to get a job, so I was trying to work out what it, what it is I should be doing. Um, and a friend of mine had just finished university, and he'd got a job with a consultancy. Um, and I just couldn't believe the amount of money he was earning. I said, what, for, for doing this? And he's like, yeah. So I kind of thought, well, I like doing this. I like using computers, and there's obviously a career path there and money in it, so, and that's what kind of turned my head. Um, so that's it. It's a bit shallow, but there you go. Mm. I always wanted to be a rock and roll star like you. I was in a band as well when I was 16, 17. I guess the choice that came to 17 and I was at school doing A-levels. I didn't really know what else I wanted to do apart from, I guess, work with computers because I was doing computer studies for A-level. I didn't want to get a job. Um, and so kind of going to university was the only other option. It was like the default path, I guess. Mm. Um, and because I'd done computer studies for A-level, the, the computer courses done at university the first year and probably the second year as well were just going over what we'd done at A-level computer studies. Yeah. Because people were going to university, not with it being their first introduction to computers, but you know, they were kind of starting programming from scratch to a certain degree. Yeah. And so the first two years of university I found really easy and good fun because um, obviously I was able to partake in a lot of the yeah. social aspects of you it. You could miss one or two lectures. I miss most of them. With a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only really the, the last year that I put quite a bit of effort in, to be honest. That's probably similar with my whole school life of coasting through the year and then just, because we had final exams then rather than lots of coursework, yeah. I think, through the year. Yeah. Coast through the year and then just study like crazy for exams, yeah. cramming the night before. Um, but yeah, so I did software engineering university and did enjoy it. And... Uh, what did you, you said I know, but what, I went to Coventry University. Coventry, I say, yeah. It was an old polytechnic, a polytechnic that became a university, so right. it wasn't a particularly great university. But it was another thing, almost like Reading, where it was about an hour and a half away, so it was close enough to go home every now and again when I needed to get some food and clothes washed, but far enough to keep the family away from visiting yeah. the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of uni, I mean, I went to uni quite late. I was 23 when I went to uni, because... Um, well, I mean, I was never into school at all, and, and so so around sort of the age of 14, 15, 16 maybe, um, I was far too busy going out with my mates and having a laugh, and then you find drinking and smoking, and you know, so I, did, I didn't apply myself particularly well at school. I wasn't bad at school, but I also wasn't, you know, my reports were usually could try harder, could do better, blah, 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 um, and I just didn't do anything outside school really. Um, so I didn't do well in my exams. I, I managed to get into the A level, um, into A levels at school, so into sixth form, and then proceeded to fail them all miserably. <laughs> so come um, come the end of uh, my school career, I had nothing to show for the last two years of uh, because I just failed all the exams, um, and so I then had to build that back up to get some some sort of qualifications to go to university. Once I realised that. My mate was telling me about how good it is working for a computer firm, for a software development firm. I was like, well, that's what I need to do. So I kind of plotted my path to get there. 
Um, so that took me a bit longer to get to university. So knowing what you know now, yeah. and I guess it's, it's almost two questions, knowing what you know now, if you were back at that stage again, would you go to university again? Um, I think going so late did me the world of good because if I'd have gone, if I'd have somehow managed to fluke through my exams, got some A-levels and then gone to university, I would have failed university or I'd have got a really bad degree or, or whatever, or done the wrong degree or whatever. Um, because I went a bit later and I'd had, had some sort of focus of I need to get this to get there. When I was at university, I was much more applied to make sure I passed the exams. That was basically it. You know? So uh, if I'd have gone earlier, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have had to retake or whatever, it would have been, would have been awful. So in many ways, I think I'm glad the way I did it. Um, it was frustrating. And it still is a bit frustrating because I kind of started my professional software career, if you like, you know, six years later than, six, seven years later than I could have done. Mm. But at the same time, you know, you learn a lot of stuff along the way. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think I'd change it, really. For me, there's a little bit of, I don't know if it's frustration or whatever. I guess you should never look back on regrets and stuff. But 1998 mm. was obviously when the dot-com right, was yeah. going on, wasn't it? Yeah. And although we had computers around the house all the time, for whatever reason, and it may well have been a financial thing, we never had the internet at home. And right. so, even if I hadn't gone to university, I guess, in 98, and the stuff they were teaching at school, it wasn't really internet-based technologies, it was yeah. Turbo Pascal or Quick Pascal and what yeah, yeah. Um, So, I, the kind of regret I have is that I didn't have the internet when I was 14, 15, because I feel if I did then, I'd have been you know, building websites and all that kind of stuff, and could have got into the dot-com boom, but then obviously I'd have been involved in the bust as well. Yeah. So going to university in 98 for four years kind of shielded me from that, that kind of boom and bust cycle. Yeah. Um, so I kind of have that regret that maybe, because I kind of look at it now, and perhaps it's unique to my situation, and because I did A-levels, computer studies, I didn't really learn that much university until last mm. year, I didn't put that much effort in. So it's a difficult one as to whether I'd recommend people go or not, yeah. especially now with tuition fees as well. Yeah, it's a different story now, yeah. I mean, when I went, we had to, they brought, just brought in student loans and everything, um, but not tuition fees as far as I remember. But, um, yeah, I mean, I studied, I studied chemistry at university. How did you? Yeah, well, I finished, um, like I said, I came, came out of school without any levels, and then I was, oh, and one of the questions I think you, you were going to ask was about what your first job, my first job, first proper job, I mean, I, I had part-time jobs when I was at school in local shops, but... Um, the first proper job, I was a, an insurance underwriting assistant. Right. I mean, if you if you live in Reading and you drop out of school, or well, like, you drop out of school, lots of people when they finish school will go and work for an insurance company in Reading, and, uh, and that's what I did. And um, yeah, I did that for two years and spent. <laughs> it was bizarre, really, because a lot of my friends are get as well have moved into local insurance companies. And to carry on the drinking theme, we used to meet up most lunch times, have a couple of pints, then meet after work and have a few pints. And, that was the story of our lives for a few years, and then, um, and then, like I said, I then realised that I couldn't stand it, and I, and I, you could just see, you know, you go up this level, and you go up that level, and then ten years later, you got that level, and you could just see the career path, and where you ended up was kind of not somewhere I wanted to be, and so that's what that was another impetus to get into IT, and um, I found I did a bit of research and found that a lot of companies, certainly locally, were desperate for software developers, and so what they'd do is they'd take you with any science-based degree that you didn't have to have computer science um, and uh, and so I decided that that was my best route and then I got a job with Castrol who are, they've got a research centre in uh, in Reading 
and a one-year reading. And I worked there as a lab assistant and they sent me for day release one day a week to right. do a BTEC, which was just enough to get in to a degree if you got a good enough mark. And so that's the way I went. And then, so I, because of that, I ended up having to do a chemistry degree, which mm. I did, yeah. I, like you, I kind of wish that I went, you know, a bit later to university. Because I think I would have, would have taken a bit more seriously and yeah. studying a bit more seriously then. And kind of, every now and again, I have a, a half thought about almost doing a, another course now. Oh, it's really? not, in, not in computers, but something I wake like up in cold sweats in psychology or something like that. Exams and that sort of stuff. Yeah, but unfortunately with the tuition fees, the Open University, they used to do courses for free, didn't they? Yeah, now yeah. they're not allowed to. They they charge the full tuition. Do they? Oh well, yeah. Oh, I don't know. That. I think because the university's kicked up, so um, you know we can't be charging tuition fees, and these guys are giving it away for free. Yeah. I mean, with the whole you know Stanford online and all those courses online now, there's an opportunity for doing lots of extra learning, isn't there, online and Khan Academy and stuff. There is, yeah. But I mean, what what would be the point of doing the course? Why don't you just do the learning and not bother with the course? That's my thing. I mean, yeah, I, the way I approach these things these days, if I want to learn something, I'll learn it, and and does, I don't need anybody to to mark me on something. I mean, unless it, you need qualifications, like a lot of my friends or some of my friends that work for you know insurance companies or whatever or, or pensions companies have to get qualifications to, for the, as part of their job role. So every couple of years they have to do a new qualification right. or they have to update an existing qualification. So unless yeah. it's something like that. Yeah, I certainly don't think I want to go and work as a psychologist by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, I mean, psychology fits into stuff we do around marketing and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. You need an understanding of it, even if it's implicit sort of thing, you know. So you mentioned your first job. Was that your first part-time job when you were 16? Or what was your first part-time My job? My first part-time job? job. I worked I worked for Bijan, right. which, used, which is what's now Iceland. Um, I think Iceland were a competitor and they bought Bijan out. But, yeah, so frozen food... Um, store, which was brilliant. I used to have a great time. So mm. Basically, I used to work Friday evening, Thursday evening, and all day Saturday. And um, those hours were basically one full-time member of staff to supervise everybody, and everybody else was kids from school. Um, and it was fantastic, because on a Saturday morning, we'd have to be in at eight, and there'd be a delivery waiting for us to put in the cold store. I'll tell you, there's no better cure for a hangover. <laughs> Then two hours in a cold store at minus whatever it was. Um, it was fantastic. So you'd, you'd get in and you'd feel dreadful, and then after two hours of putting this delivery away in the freezing cold, it would just waking you up and you feel great again. So, yeah, that was my job. What about yours? I used to, uh, well, my first proper job when I was 16 was, well, I say proper, part time was in McDonald's. Really? Yeah. How many God Stars did you have? I had four. Four? Because wow. it was a franchise where I worked at. And the blokes weren't allowed to work on the tills. It was only women worked on the tills. Really? The blokes worked in the kitchen and stuff, yeah. And so I never got to get my till badge. <laughs> Not like that. Um, but it was, I don't know why. Even now, I, I don't know why. But literally at 16, the day I turned 16, I walked into McDonald's and asked for a job application form. And I had this set in my mind, it must have been for like six months to a year before, this is what I was going to do. Right. So I, had, I always did paper rounds. Yeah, I when did I was paper 13. rounds as well, yeah. Um, but then I was like, right, as soon as I six, turn 16, I'm going to get a part-time job and it's going to be McDonald's. I don't know why, whether I thought it's probably the easiest place I can get a job and I'll get in there, no problem or something. I don't know. <laughs> have no expectations. <laughs> but, um, Free chips. But like you, it was the best thing I did at 16. I met such a great bunch of people that I'm friends with now and in yeah, other yeah. friends through friends and working every Saturday and you got free meal for lunch. Yeah. Um, best time. You see kids now that are lazy and hanging around street corners and can't go to get jobs and stuff, they're like, you know, what we did, it, although... I think you learn a lot. 
it was the best time, well not the best time of my life, but you know, I had such fun growing up. And yeah. Met, went out in the evenings and stuff like that, drinking. Yeah. Great time. But, but there's something about earning your own money and not having to go to your mum and dad mm. and say, can I have a tenner for this or a fiver for that or whatever it was. It's, that, that was an amazing feeling. I, I, I agree, I, totally. I, I, um, so glad I, I did that and went and got those jobs. Mm. I had a couple of other jobs as well. Um, well, one in the main one, the other one that I had was working at a bakery in uh, Parsons Bakery in, in Woodley, which is just outside Reading. And um, it's not there anymore, but that was a nightmare job. We used to start at, well, I hated it, everyone else used to like it, but I couldn't stand it because we had to start at something like six o'clock in the morning or half five in the morning on a Saturday. You'd be done by lunchtime, but it was basically they'd shut down the factory and send those urchins in there to clean all the machines. Right. So you'd be there with your, your spray and your cloth and your scrubbing brushes cleaning these machines. And you didn't want to be there, you know, six o'clock in the morning, probably still half pissed from the night before, and, and you'd cleaning these machines. It wasn't good. I, uh, my second part-time job, I upgraded. I went from working at McDonald's to Tesco's Coffee Shop. Ah, right. And I mentioned this because it's quite funny, because at Tesco's Coffee Shop, I worked there six months, I think, before I went to university. Yeah. I worked with Sophie's mum. Oh, God. So I actually worked with my girlfriend's mum before I'd even met Sophie. That's bizarre. And so this is funny. The funny thing is because <clears throat> I worked a Saturday shift, <clears throat> she, um, she would have seen me. Sorry, Nick, off. <coughs> Perhaps I did that out. Mm-hmm. She uh, she would have seen me rolling in on a Saturday morning for work, hanging over <laughs> to the buggery, you know, green as a sheet, green as anything, you know, struggling to keep anything down. So she knew what I was like before. She, I didn't have to be introduced to her, to her when I was start going. That's quite handy. So she kind of knew what she knew the worst side of me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's Sophie's sister as well. Actually, she worked there as well. So we were kind of destined to get together. So oh, it's right. kind of it was through Sophie's sister that I met Sophie because. We yeah. were, out in a nightclub with different bunches of friends and bumped into each other. So I carried to my sister Sophie. Oh right! Wow, that's how it all. Uh, that's amazing. All worked out. <laughs> so, that's funny. Um, these are a bit random questions. Favorite book? Favorite book. Um, Lord of the Rings is my favorite book of all time. Um, you know, it's one of those. I remember my dad reading it to me, to me and my brothers when we were kids, and I um, I read it myself again later on in life. And uh, yeah, definitely still my favourite book, without a doubt. I was thinking about business books, and they come and go really. That one of my favourite at any particular point in time. I remember a long time ago, Crossing the Chasm was, was mm. my favourite, and I've got lots of recent books I've read which are fresh in my mind so they feel like favourites but one that sticks in my mind was Rob Walling's um, Start Small Stay Small because I remember reading it and thinking oh my god this is this is it this is this is what I've been missing you know and mm. so that sticks in my mind in I suppose recent years as a favourite a favourite one of them that's up there yeah um, so yeah I've got an addiction to buying books, as you see. Oh, yeah, I can see all around two bookshelves yeah. behind you. <laughs> so I've got, I've got a pile of books, actually, that I was going to mention. But I'm just going to mention one, which is Masters of Doom. And so I don't really read fiction books. Yeah. I'm the old Dan Brown book every now and again. Um, but Masters of Doom, I've read four or five times. And it's about the, the ID software guys, John Carmack, right, John yeah. Romero. Um, and then, you know, programming Wolfenstein 3D and Doom and Quake going through the process of starting up ID software and you know their challenges and falling out and all that kind of stuff and it's just relives the youth I guess of getting my brother's PC and getting Wolfenstein running on there and then playing Doom and linking two PCs together across the serial port or whatever it was right. playing uh, Deathmatch back in brilliant times 
There's a similar one actually that springs to mind. Um, since you mentioned that, it's called is it the cuckoo's egg? I'll have to look up which buy and everything, but it's um, it's about a kind of systems admin guy, just a normal systems admin guy who who was managing these systems, and he noticed that something was something weird was happening, and he got he was asked to look into it. To um, God, I can't remember the details of it now, but but basically he detected a hacker on on the network, and so it was in the early days when hacking wasn't really something that people were that wasn't that widespread or, or well, it was widespread, but people weren't that aware of it, and it's a great story written about exactly what happened so it's almost like you're reading fiction but it actually happened you know that's a great book I'll, I'll dig out the link to it on Amazon or something and stick it in the show notes but yeah that's a good book as well. yeah I could do we could do a podcast just on books from that yeah, yeah. I've forgotten most of the stuff I've read to be honest I have to go through and reread them but yeah. um, favourite film again this is one that fluctuates but um, you know a few years ago I said The Matrix when that was first around that was amazing but um I think something that's lived with me for a while is Shawshank Redemption. Every time I watch that, I enjoy it. So yeah. I think that's probably one of my favourites. And um, there's another one, a Coen Brothers film called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's got George Clooney in it, um, but it's, I, it's another one of my favourites. I can keep watching that without getting bored. I've seen that one, I have to admit it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, mine, I put down New Your Suspects. Right. That's a brilliant film. Have you seen that? I don't think I have, you know. With Kevin Spacey. Uh, you need to watch it. I haven't really, seen it, no. Really good. Uh, Scarface, just because I watched it so much yeah. at university, and a re- recent one, Social Network. I just enjoy watching that. Right, okay. I haven't seen that one yet. Motivation and can't uh, can't yeah. bother to start programming or something. Watching the Social Network always uh, giving a kick up the ass. Yeah, that's one that I keep meaning to watch. We've just got well, I say for the past couple of months we've got Netflix. So I'll have to search for some of these on there. See if I'm on there. Yeah, the usual suspects are on there. Definitely watch that. Don't watch it with It's not a kids' film. No. <laughs> or Scarface. <laughs> Um, this is going back a bit I guess what uh, languages platforms frameworks do you work with have you used well, historically what, what I mean start? when I first started um, programming well when I first started working as a programmer I, um, it was C++ well C and then C++ but C was kind of like six months worth and then we moved over to C++ so mainly C++ um, yeah so we, we, we I worked for a firm in Henley Thames which is near Reading but um and it, it became known as a CRM firm, but it was we basically the first big product they had was was like a call center or con- contact management con- call center type system, and it was pretty much ahead of, ahead of its time in that it was properly designed by designers, you know, and it didn't have the Windows feel. Um, it, it was designed, and we had usability engineers as well as designers in on the uh, in the company, and, and it was really really good, really good products and a fantastic company to work for. I often say that. If the company hadn't gone down the pan, um, I would have still been working there now, you know, but it, it was a great company. So I did C++ there, and then uh, over the years, that sort of call centre product um, was still going, but they created another full-on CRM product for banks, um, and uh, that was in .NET, so I was developing .NET then, so C Sharp and right. SP.NET, basically. Cool. Uh, for me, at university, I studied all the normal stuff, like... Uh, Java, C++. Yeah. It's one called, oh, I can't remember what one, it's an odd one. Modular something, Modular 2. It was really odd. Yeah. It just so happened, like the first, it was an introduction to programming uh, thing, and the bloke magically had written the book on this thing called right. Modular 2, so that was the thing that everyone had to learn. It was like yeah. some kind of variant of Pascal or something like that. Right. Anyway, um, but kind of commercially, the first, uh, the summer place when I got to university was doing VB6. 
And that kind of took me into the Microsoft yeah. world, and that's kind of been, been where I've been ever since. And the final year of university, there was some crazy Russian lecturer, I can't remember, I can't remember his name or which course he, he taught that I took, but he, it was just, I think, .NET was just coming out, 2001. Right. And so he kind of introduced me to that. And I remember at the time, because I had this laptop and it was running, um, I guess it was XP Home yeah. at that time. And it was XP Professional. And you had to have um, XP Professional to have IIS installed and all that kind of stuff to do. Any yes, I remember those days, yeah. But there were like these hacks that you could do on XP Home to get IIS running. <laughs> and so I, I had, it was like pages and pages of hacks on the web of how to do all this stuff. Because it was all, all there on XP Home. It just wasn't all activated. Yeah. So you had to do all this stuff to activate all these various bits and features. Um, so I, managed, I remember getting ASP.NET running on my uh, XP Home machine. And, right. First starting with that, um, and so yeah, VB6 kind of got me into Microsoft World and been in .NET and ASP.NET ever since. Yeah. Um, now, kind of, having done the whole SharePoint thing, which is obviously Microsoft and .NET based, moving away from that, and kind of, and have been for a while, you know, thinking about other stuff like PHP, Ruby yeah. on Rails, um, but it's so difficult to try and learn a new framework when you're building your own stuff and there's no reason to use that other framework. You're struggling to try and do stuff that you can do. Yeah, it adds a lot so of time with ASP.NET MVC. Yeah. And ASP.NET MVC now is such a great framework to use. And it is. Yeah. done quickly. Um, if you know it already, and it's it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, over the years as well, I've done Java and a bit of VB6 as well. Um, and then since since working at that, that firm, I mean, I'm freelancing, I've done Objective-C um, and mainly, I suppose, still ASP.NET and C-sharp, but all sorts of other stuff as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. The main reason for getting into PHP is the couple of the guys that I work with are PHP developers. That's kind of their first first language of choice, yeah. and obviously WordPress being PHP based. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is interesting from what you were saying the other the last podcast about it being quite a steep learning curve. I think with WordPress, mm -hmm. I was thinking about after you said that it's the same with SharePoint. And from when I got involved, yeah, in that, you know, you show anybody SharePoint and a developer or an admin for the first time, they'd be like. Oh God, there's all this stuff and yeah. it needs all this configuration and blah, blah, blah. And WordPress can t compared to SharePoint yeah, it's tiny in comparison, yeah. but it's still, it's still a steep learning curve for me of figuring out how to edit pages. It's just not that intuitive, I think. You know, I think it, it's, it's full of features, but it's not that intuitive and you just have to get work your way around it. Same as SharePoint, I find that with SharePoint, it's not that intuitive. Yeah, and so I, I managed to get over that hurdle with SharePoint, so I need to just bite the bullet and yeah. do a WordPress. <laughs> well, if you're going to be working with it and you've got guys working for you that are going to be doing it, then it makes sense to, to at least know the yeah. basics. So. Last one, favourite of the podcast? Oh, I've got loads. It, I mean, I, I, this is like books and films, it depends on what I'm listening to at the moment. But um, So at the moment, I think my favourite is Bootstrap the Kids. Yeah, same here. Yeah, we both talk about that a lot. Um, I love their... Their, uh, I love their podcast, yeah, really good. Um, there's also the, the Bootstrap podcast with Andrew Butov and, uh, and Ian Landsman, Start Us the Rest of Us. Yeah. Listen to that every week. And another one I've started to listen to again now is um, Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income. Right. And then if I have to throw one more out there, because <laughs> they do occasionally listen to this as well, it's Mixergy. Yes. I mean, I think they're brilliant. Uh, they're really good interviews, but um, I, I dip in and out of those. Mm. They've all the ones you mentioned have certainly helped me over the years. Help me learning, giving ideas of what to do and what to try next in business and things like that. So, I think you mentioned Bootstrap FM, uh, Bootstrap Web. I started listening to. Oh right, yeah. And that was mainly because Brian Castle was on Bootstrap with Kids. Um, business of freelancing, 
Brendan Dunn's podcast. Yeah, Brendan Dunn, yeah. Uh, again, mainly because it's from wanting to get into the consulting thing and uh, also from a marketing point of view. Yeah. And he has a SaaS product as well. He does, yeah. Fun um, uh, Next would be Nathan Barry Show. Yeah, I do listen to that occasionally, yeah. yeah. Startups for Rest of Us. And Tim Ferriss Show as well. So right. I was always a fan of the four hour work week. Yeah. Got his other books as well. Um, and his podcasts are good as well. He in- interviews really interesting people. Yeah. And he was, it's more about the guests on his show as, as much as him. Um, so yeah, I've been enjoying I that. think that's the sort of one, the Tim Ferriss one, and um, some of the others you mentioned that are the ones, sorts of ones I'll put on if I feel like having some sort of something to listen to in the background while working on something, I'll put mm-hmm. those on. Uh, whereas the other ones, I'd, I'd kind of go for a run with them on or. Um, yeah. If I'm doing something around the house, that sort of thing. The problem with Mixergy, and perhaps for me, well, mostly Mixergy, is he interviews so many different business types. Yeah. They're mostly online, aren't they? They've got some kind of online yeah. uh, component of them. Because I keep listening and going, listening to them, and they're all US based, aren't they? And yeah. I keep thinking, ah, oh, we can just do that in the UK. Yeah. That's a new yeah. business idea. <laughs> you think of the, uh, there's a recent one about the, the painting. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that yesterday. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So has a double-edged sword, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right, I guess that's it. Same with questions. Yeah. I had listed down. I think yeah, that's. Uh, I can't think of anything else, and uh, we've probably gone on long enough. So I hope everyone had a nice Christmas because yeah. it's going to be out in between Christmas and New Year, and I hope everyone has a great New Year celebration. Yeah. Um, Don't drink too much. Bring on 2015. Absolutely. Fantastic. Cheers, Martin. Cheers, MC. Bye. Bye.